Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet, reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, a lesbian couple together for 40 years were denied an apartment at a retirement home in Missouri because they are married. Vice President Mike Pence is deeply offended. Folks are upset his wife has chosen to teach art at a school that bans LGBTQ kids and parents. A gay Australian party got into hot water over rude instructions to photographers. And Broadway legend, LGBT ally, and my friend, Carol Channing, passed away this week at the age of 97. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. A Missouri lesbian couple was told they couldn't buy a unit in a retirement community because they're married. The women sued, alleging discrimination, and they just lost. Mary Walsh, age 72, and Beverly Nance, 68 years old, have been together for 40 years and married for 10. In 2016, they visited and applied to move into Friendship Village Sunset Hills community. Doesn't that sound lovely? Friendship Village Sunset Hills Community. Huh. An independent living retirement community near St. Louis. They were qualified tenants, and they even put down a $2,000 deposit. But a week after putting down that deposit, a representative of Friendship Village called to ask what their relationship was. When Walsh told them that they were married, the representative said they couldn't move into Friendship Village. Mm-hmm. Friendship Village because it has a policy that, quote, defined marriage as between a man and a woman, and as, quote, marriage is understood in the Bible, end quote. So the women sued in federal court, claiming that the Fair Housing Act, FHA, has been violated. The FHA bans discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, familial status, or national origin. According to an attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights, Julie Walensky, Mary and Bev were denied housing for one reason and one reason only, because they were married to each other rather than to men. This is exactly the type of sex discrimination that the Fair Housing Act prohibits. But U.S. District Judge Jean Hamilton didn't see it that way and dismissed their case this week. She wrote, the court finds the claims boiled down to those of discrimination based on sexual orientation rather than sex alone. The couple says they are now weighing their next steps. The state of Missouri doesn't ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Russian activists told the Daily Beast this week that authorities in Chechnya have ordered people to kill LGBT members of their own families and have demanded ransoms for the release of detained LGBT relatives. According to reports, at least 40 people have now been arrested in the last two or three weeks, many of them tortured, in a new crackdown against LGBT people in Chechnya. Two gay men have reportedly died following torture. One of the St. Petersburg volunteers for the Russian LGBT network 
who did not wish to be named, told the Daily Beast, quote, Chechen authorities demanded that relatives punish their gay family members by executing them. Several people who managed to escape have been raped with police clubs and tortured with electricity. Chechnya is a semi-autonomous federal subject of Russia. In 2017, Chechen President Ramzan Kadyrov declared that gays are, quote, inhuman devils, and that Chechnya must, quote, purify our blood by removing them. The U.S. State Department and European Parliament are now urging Russia to investigate the current anti-gay campaign. Robert Palladino, deputy spokesperson for the U.S. State Department, said in a statement, we are deeply disturbed by credible reports out of Chechnya about renewed attacks against individuals perceived to be members of the LGBTI community. Civil society groups report that at least 40 individuals have been illegally detained since December, including two who reportedly died in custody after being tortured. We call on Russia to live up to its international obligations and commitments and its own constitution and launch an immediate investigation into these human rights abuses. The vice president of the European Parliament's working group on LGBT plus rights said in a statement, we cannot wait until more people are detained, tortured, and killed. It's about time Russia listens to the multiple recommendations and requests from the international community, starts an investigation, and puts an end to these human rights violations. Vice President Mike Pence is very upset that his wife, Second Lady Karen Pence, has been criticized over her new part-time job teaching art at a school that explicitly bans LGBTQ students and faculty and parents. Pence told reporters this week, quote, to see major news organizations attacking Christian education is deeply offensive to us. We have a rich tradition in America of Christian education and frankly, religious education broadly defined. We celebrate it. But this criticism of Christian education in America should stop, end quote. Now, it's important to note that the criticism Pence is referring to is not about, as he says, Christian education, but of the employment application and parent agreement at Emanuel Christian School in Springfield, Virginia. The school bans any LGBTQ youth from attending the school, as well as prohibits accepting children who might have LGBTQ parents. On Wednesday, Kara Brooks, the communications director for Mrs. Pence, told the New York Times in an email, It's absurd that her decision to teach art to children at a Christian school and the school's religious beliefs are under attack. Absurd? I could argue that it's absurd that a school would choose to openly discriminate against prospective students and faculty. Personally, I find it disturbing that the Second Lady of the United States would choose to put her stamp of approval on a school that actively denies interest to LGBTQ students or students who have gay parents. And of all things, Karen Pence will be teaching art. As young people come to know who they are in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity during the formative teen years, many turn to the arts, as I did. But look who these kids will have as a mentor. And in regard to the vice president finding the criticism deeply offensive, here's what I have to say. 
Deeply offensive is banning LGBTQ kids from school. Deeply offensive is supporting electroshock therapy to change their sexuality, which Pence has supported. Deeply offensive is barring Americans from enjoying the same rights and privileges as everyone else. Deeply offensive is being such a bigot that you think your beliefs should be subject to protection while the Americans you attack should be converted to straight Christians. That said, though, now that Karen Pence is back at the school, here's the good news. In response, an LGBT nonprofit is sending her 100 copies of John Oliver's children's book about a gay bunny. Not just any bunny, mind you. Her family's bunny, Marlon Bundo, who was chronicled in a kid's book written by her daughter and illustrated by the second lady herself. Right around the time it came out, the folks at Last Week Tonight at HBO put together their own version, A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo. Only in their book, Old Bundo winds up getting married to another boy bunny. On Thursday, the Trevor Project, which works to prevent suicide among LGBTQ youth and receives proceeds from Oliver's book, announced that it had shipped 100 copies of the tome to Emmanuel Christian School, where Pence will be teaching, along with a note encouraging the kindergarten through eighth grade program to, quote, include it in your school's library or classrooms. Now, of course, that's not going to happen. If they ban gay kids, they aren't going to allow kids to read about a gay bunny. But it is fun that they sent the book. Into Grinder's online LGBTQ publication laid off its entire editorial staff and its corresponding social media team on Tuesday this week because the company will be refocusing its efforts on video. Editors announced the mass layoff in a statement sent to press. The website was launched in August 2017, having branded itself as an LGBTQ news source that targeted millennials. As recently as December, Grindr was mentioned alongside Tinder and Bumble in a New York Times article that demonstrated how more dating apps were investing into editorial content like Intu's. But Intu's editorial team found itself at odds with management in November when one of the digital magazine's reporters called out Scott Chen, the president of Grindr, for remarks that appeared to be anti-LGBTQ. In a troubling Facebook post, Chen stated he believes marriage is, quote, a holy matrimony between a man and a woman. Chen blasted the piece as unbalanced and misleading in the comments section of the Into article. Grinder's communication team released a statement saying a strategic shift to video was the reason for the layoffs. They wrote, they wrote, as with any growing business, we have to continually evaluate what is best for Grinder. After a thoughtful and collaborative process, Grinder's leadership decided to modify Intu's content mix to rely more heavily on video. This decision was driven by the high user engagement and development we see through channels such as Twitter and YouTube. Organizers of a popular Australian gay party, Poof Doof, mmm, that name, scrambled this week to apologize over a memo distributed to photographers that listed strict instructions on the people it deemed desirable and not so desirable enough to photograph. 
Poof Doof, whose tagline is a gay club for homos, is a long-running gay party in the city of Melbourne. But it wasn't a party for the organizers this week when a memo sheet handed out to photographers became public on social media. The document is a photography brief that features strict guidelines on which types of people should be photographed at Poof Doof parties and which types of people are not so desirable. The document reads, Boys, Poof Doof is a gay club for homos. No one here is to see girls, ever. It goes on to say, in terms of who they want photographed, boys with muscles, big ones. Also at the top of their list, drag queens, but only the best, and never more than three or four. And once they've had their photo taken once, that's it, forever. In regards to the not-so-desirable list, that included, let's see, messy boys. Anyone who looks like they've packed down a tin pack is out. Indie boys. They are not poof-doof worthy unless they are breathtakingly good-looking or epically stylish. Also on the bad list, boys with bad skin. And skinny boys with burgundy t-shirts and chinos. They are a dime a dozen. There is nothing interesting nor cool about them. Yo. Tough crowd. The event's general manager, Susie Robinson, told the media the memo was seven years old and no longer reflected the brand today. She told Gay Star News, We're not shying away from the fact we did write it, but it's been taken out of context. It was written so long ago, it's not something we circulate now. She added, We're distressed we may have caused any upset. According to Robinson, the brief was written at a different time, when attitudes may have been different. But since then, Poof Doof has tried to become more inclusive. No brand is squeaky clean and perfect, she said. We've changed over the years. Again, we're only talking seven years, folks. Hmm. Robinson accused a former Poof Doof photographer of allegedly leaking the brief after losing his job. She said it was retaliation. She also promised that it was destroyed not long after it was originally distributed. But another photographer Poof Doof hired, who spoke to Gay Star News anonymously, said he received the briefing as late as 2016, two years ago. Hmm. Five years ago this weekend, HBO premiered Looking. It's pioneering dramedy about a group of 30-something friends making their way through the exciting and sometimes challenging options available to contemporary gay men living in the San Francisco Bay Area. The year was 2014, and the fight for marriage equality was quickly gaining momentum in the courts. The LGBTQ community was making progress in social and legal arenas, often on a near-daily basis. The series explored that progress of acceptance through its three leads as they searched to find their place in the world with an ever-shifting ground. Modern love, professional fulfillment, intimacy, happiness, and an appreciation for self-awareness were the goals for Patrick, played by Jonathan Groff, Augustin, played by Frankie J. Alvarez, and Dom, played by Murray Bartlett. At the time, many in the LGBTQ community complained and criticized about the show, unfairly in my opinion. I liked it. I saw the series as thoughtful, smart, and honest. I was especially drawn to Jonathan Groff's Patrick for often overthinking his straight-jacketed emotions. 
I totally related myself. And the season two edition of Daniel Franzi's as lovable bear Eddie, who has no time for self-doubt, was refreshing. The series also utilized current pop music in clever subliminal ways. The first episode of season two ended with our heroes searching for, and finally attending, a dance party in the woods, grooving along to the strains of Hercules and love affairs, blind. Looking, blind, lost in the forest. Get it? Clever. Hmm. If you head over to therandyreport.com, you can check out the promo videos from the two seasons of Looking, and you can find the entire season now on HBO Now. My dear Carol Channing passed away this week at the age of 97. I celebrate this Broadway legend and my many years working with her. What a gift. Carol and Hello, Dolly changed my life forever in 1994. The experience gave me my first Broadway show. I met my husband of 24 years, Michael. Supervising the national tour after Broadway gave me the down payment for my first home and I've been lucky to stage the show in almost 10 major regional productions, passing on what I learned from Carol and our director, Leroy Reams. I celebrate our fabulous Tony Award-winning Academy Award nominee, don't forget that, kids, for Thoroughly Modern Millie. She was, is, and always will be a national treasure. Back in 2010, I performed with her again in the opening number of the Gypsy of the Year competition on Broadway which is a major charity event for the Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS campaign. She brought the house down as only she can, and I was thrilled to be standing next to her. For those who don't know, I spent two and a half incredible years performing with Carol in the last Broadway revival of Hello, Dolly. I eventually became the production supervisor, and she would ask me for notes on how to perform the role of Hello, Dolly, as if I could tell her anything she didn't already know, but she was so dear. I'll share this one quick story about Carol. When I was supervising Dolly on tour after the Broadway run, one day we had a particularly long and dreadful travel day. Two planes, a bus, a train, maybe there was a donkey or two involved, all to get to what Carol referred to as a soccer arena in Champaign, Illinois, where we would perform that night. In the sound check, Carol looked down and realized that the musician's pit was 25 feet beneath us. This was the pit that I personally had to leap over every night in the middle of the Hello Dolly number and land at her feet. For the first time in 30 years of doing the show, she decided and realized this might be dangerous. After the sound check, she came looking for me to ask if someone could put a net or something between the pit and the stage in case those of us who jumped over the pit happened to fall into it. Now, at this point, I had 30 minutes before the performance and was taking a long shower to rid myself of the long travel day. Now, this being a soccer arena, the showers were open showers in a locker room. Covered in soap and standing under the hot water, I suddenly heard a very low baritone voice say, Randy. I turned and there was Carol. In the open showers with me, smiling. She waited for me to turn and went into her concerns about the pit, a net, and all sorts of other things as I stood there completely naked except for a few soap bubbles. When she finished expressing her concerns, I said, absolutely, Carol, 
but right now I'm soaking wet, taking a shower. She looked me up and down, smiled, and said, Oh, yes, of course. Well, uh, well, you know, we're all just show folk. And then she turned and left me to finish my shower. Nudity was nothing to this old pro who had changed costumes in the wings for decades. For the Gypsy of the Year event in 2010, they asked many of the Dolly Boys to come back and do the opening number with Carol as a tribute to her. As the number evolved, I ended up partnering with her much of the number. You can see the Gypsy of the Year opening number on YouTube. Just Google it and look for the year 2010. And you'll see the joy that I had standing next to Carol once again. While we were rehearsing for a few days, the producer of a documentary of Carol's life asked if the Dolly Boys would sit down and talk about our time with her. We all sat in a meeting room at Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS for about an hour and a half and shared stories. I only had one particular story about Carol that I knew I wanted people to hear. As the Broadway revival of Hello Dolly was winding down in early 1996, one of the male dancers in the show, who was very dear to me and to Carol, was dying of AIDS. I was very grateful my brief story about Carol and Don Ives made it into the film Larger Than Life. The last month we were on Broadway, Don's health was declining, but he kept coming into the show, and he would do what he could, and he would do a few days at a time. One night, we, we got about halfway through Act One, and um, <clears throat> that was about as far as Don could go that night. And I just remember crossing with Carol one point through the basement of the Love Fontaine, and Don was coming to head to the dressing room, and he had just let them know. And she knew that the change was happening in the middle of the show. And I just always remember, even in mid-show, while the show's going on, she just stopped Don. He felt so bad that he was letting her down. And she stopped him and said, you just take care of yourself and come back tomorrow, or come back Friday, or come back Monday. Just come back. The show's going on above us on the stage, and she's stopping to take care of him. I just always remember how this star that is driving this entire show at this moment, but she stopped to take care of him, and I never forgot that. Rest in peace, my dear, wonderful Carol. I am certain there was a standing ovation awaiting you as you entered heaven. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. You knew I had to end with this. Looking swell, Manny. I